This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your hosts, Senior Financial Advisors, Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of the McClelland Financial Group of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing conflicts of interest that impact your investments. Mike, this was an article written by George Athensaskos, and he talked about all the conflicts of interest that exist in the marketplace. And I thought it might be good to share with our clients some of those conflicts and our thoughts on them. I guess it's not only the financial markets, right? There's conflicts and interest all through life. There certainly are. So what are some of those? I guess we recently were, well, reading the papers, you saw Loblaws went under a lot of scrutiny. Loblaws always has their own brand, uh, President's Choice, I guess, is their President's Choice, correct? Yes. They were going to go and uh, combat inflation by cutting down the raises on prices of their brand, which I guess is, uh, it's nice, but they're pushing you more toward their brand. So if you like uh, President's Choice brands, it will be, uh, you won't see the raise in uh, inflationary raises on the prices, but again, it's only their brand. And the advantage of their brand to Loblaws is they have a higher profit margin on their brand than they do on a, a known brand. So if you know, you're know you buying a, uh, a Loblaws brand of ice cream, they make a lot more money on that than they do on a, let's say, a Seal Test or a Chapman's brand of ice cream. What about the automobile maker? You walk into a BMW dealership. Is there a conflict of interest? Yeah. I mean, if my needs are hauling rocks <laughs> and I go to a BMW dealer, they're, they're not going to send me necessarily to the Ford dealer next door. And that's the, the problem is they each have their own product to recommend. And if what you need isn't in their product lineup, it definitely gives, you, gives them a heavy conflict of interest. So should you buy the extended warranty when you buy your BMW? That's a big question. It's a conflict of interest. I've had that conversation many times. Well, I'm buying your car because it's good. So why do I have to pay because it's not good? So it's always an interesting conversation with the salesperson. And the salesperson makes a lot more money on the options and the extended warranties. What about restaurants? If you go into a restaurant and you ask the waiter, you know, what's good on the menu? Yeah, they usually go toward the higher margin items. More expensive Mm. items, the bigger the tip. Yeah. More, the fancier the drink, a cocktail versus a beer, that drives up the average cost of your bill. And sometimes they'll even push specials, which may be stuff they have to get rid of that day. You know, stuff that won't make it to the end of the week. They're going to put a special on it. They're going to push that to get that out of inventory. Does the baker have any conflict of interest? If you go into a bake shop, yeah. what's the conflict there? It's hard to get a steak. <laughs> I've tried, hard trust to get me. A steak. Yep. You're just going to come out of there with carbs. Yep. If you go into a butcher shop, same thing. You can get the steak, you're not going to get any carbs. Yeah. We've often talked about that the butcher versus the nutritionist, right? When you go to a butcher, they're going to always sell you meat. Even if your diet is, uh, even like right now, I'm going through some gout in my foot. <laughs> if I go to the butcher, he's still going to sell me a steak, even though it's probably not good for me. Should probably be putting some vegetables into that diet. Yeah. Right? So there's conflicts of interest everywhere. The important thing is to understand them. So let's talk about some of the ones that George uncovered in his article. 
He talked about portfolio managers, analysts, and rating agencies. Some of the individuals rely on to give us good investment advice and opinions on companies and bonds and real estate. Um, financial advisors have conflicts of interest. Insurance advisors have conflicts of interest. And the financial media, even though they're supposed to be impartial, they have tremendous conflicts of interest. Yep. So let's start go, doing a deeper dive into some of those. Mike, what are some of the conflicts of interest of institutional investors? Those who are making investments for their institution that they work for. Well, they want to all hold stocks. We'll call them glamour stocks. Whatever's popular that year, they want to make sure that's in people's portfolio. Whether they make money on it or not, when they're talking about the Facebooks and the Amazons booming, they want to make sure when someone looks at their portfolio, that's part of their portfolio. Whether it made sense to buy it at the price they bought it or it didn't make sense. As long as it's in there, people feel good about having that in their portfolio. So if we go back last year, even if they didn't own some of the companies that did very well last year, such as Amazon and, and let's say Apple, they may add them into their portfolio in December so that when someone's reviewing their holdings in December, they're there. This year, it might be the complete opposite. They don't want to be showing that they have any Facebook in their portfolio or Amazon for that matter. Yeah. The other thing that impacts it is, and this is an interesting one, because they get paid on an annual bonus based on their performance, there's an incentive for them to take a lot more risk earlier in the year. And if that risk pays off, they can bank that risk and that will help their returns for the year. If the risk doesn't pay off, then they're at a bit of a loss. But what happens is if they've done really well earlier in the year, they almost get more conservative towards the end of the year because they want to make sure that they're going to make that bonus. Yeah. We always watched uh, hedge funds used to have a financial arrangement. I think we called it two and 20, right? Uh, they'd make 2% plus they make 20% of the profits in addition to whatever they were trying to outperform. So they get a 20% bonus based on the outperformance. Everyone thought it was great because they thought the managers involved the same as I am because they're being paid. Well, first of all, they're being paid 2% whether they win or lose, right? So they're being paid the same as everyone else. And the 20% is unreasonable to take out of your profits because that's a big piece of what you're going to make. And the other part is they don't take on the losses. They're, they're not giving back their fee if they don't hit those, uh, those points they're supposed to hit. So really, it's not a great fee structure. But uh, the hedge funds always pushed it like you're involved with the hedge fund manager. It's not really like that. Sounds very sexy. Yeah. Right? And you think, well, they're a hedge fund manager. They're, they're even really smarter than the average manager. Yeah. I'm going to make a lot more money. Two and 20 even sounds exciting, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Except if you're on the other end of it and you're having to give up 20% of your profits and pay the 2% on top of it. Yep. What about analysts? The conflict of interest they have, and here's the evidence. For every sell they're recommending on a stock, there's seven analysts that are recommending to buy that same stock. Seven to one ratio on buys versus sells. And yet we know on a buy versus sell, it should be 50-50. So the analysts are tilted towards the buys, not the sells. So why don't they want to sell? Why don't they want to come out with a negative rating on Loblaws? Well, first of all, they can upset not Loblaws and it will create future conflicts of interest with those companies. And in addition, sometimes 
even the analysts are working for a company, you don't know what's in that company's inventory. They might have a vested reason to be selling a stock uh, and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You hope that everything is just legitimate research, but it's not guaranteed. One of the things that happens is if you put a negative rating out, besides the bad press that that company might get, suddenly that the executives of that company might decide they're not going to give you as much information as if you're recommending a buy on their stock because they have a vested interest in it. Buy and sell recommendations are always subjective, so it leaves it very open to interpretation. So it's never a guarantee, it's just a subjective opinion. They tend to be a little over-optimistic about their earnings forecast. And at the end of the day, they make more money, their firm makes more money if they trade more. So having lots of buys is a good idea. What about rating agencies? So they're, those, they're supposed to be the referees in the whole thing and they're supposed to you know, go out and rate the different bonds and, and are they triple A, double A, single A? Yeah, well, we just have to go back to 2008 and see how that all fell apart, right? It was just a total disaster on how everyone was judging everything. And they still never really came out and, and said who was responsible because it wasn't one bond agency. It was just all of them together. Everywhere you were getting a rating on uh, fixed income debt, it was all way off base. So the conflict there is that A, they're giving maybe the wrong rating. B, they're often engaged as consultants for those companies so they can earn money so they give a higher rating, they may get more of consulting income. So another conflict of interest. Let's switch it over to our industry. Where, where, what do you see as a conflict of interest with financial advisors? What are some of them? Well, if you're working on a commission uh, basis, you never know, well, you do know what the commission is, but some products pay higher commissions than others. And you don't know what the recommendation is based on what you need or what the advisor is being paid. So that's the problem we always had with different commissions. Even back in the day when they had uh, deferred sales charge, they weren't all the same. You know, people didn't know that, but uh, there were some weird labor funds out there that would pay more commissions than other ones and would prompt you to sell their product rather than other pro product. I can remember two different mutual fund companies. One would pay a 1% trailer fee. The other would pay a one and a quarter percent trailer fee. So if you imagine you put all of your investments with that one fund company that was paying the higher trailer fee, you could earn 25% more income over the course of a year. That was a huge difference. What about, let's use two large Canadian banks since they seem to dominate the Canadian marketplace. No names, yeah. but let's say you're working at one of those banks and you're a financial advisor at one of those large Canadian banks and you know the performance of your 60-40 balance fund isn't very good, but you still have to recommend it. Yeah, I mean many- Because the, that's all you have on your shelf. Men the, many of the banks have eliminated any off-shelf uh, uh, funds uh, where they have to go and use only their own uh, funds. So that's been a trend that's been moving forward. And it's a tough one because you're not really getting an unbiased opinion anymore. You gotta decide if you're seeing either a financial advisor or a salesman and sometimes we've tended to work, the financial advisors have started to work into that salesman category. And it goes to, we're back to the car market. You know, if you go to your BMW dealer and you need a truck, you're going to be in it, have an issue. They're going to only sell you the BMW that they can make you buy. 
Right. With a trailer. <laughs> and, you know, today a lot of people are making that switch to electric vehicles. Not all vehicles or not all uh, automobile makers are equal in terms of the quality of their electric vehicles. Some of them are just getting into the game now. Yep. Insurance products. Another one that has tremendous conflicts of interest. The insurance industry is a little behind in that area. They haven't had to disclose some of the compensation that is paid to the financial advisors or the insurance advisors. So some of those products, I'll use a simple example, universal life and whole life have a much bigger commission paid to the advisor than does term insurance. Now, they're different products, they have different needs, but from the end investor's perspective, they're pretty similar. So life insurance, when I die, it's gonna get paid out. So those are some other conflicts of interest. Mike, let's go over to you with the media. Do they have any conflicts of interest? Aren't they supposed to be impartial? I mean, with what we've seen lately between, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post, he went and owned the, the ability to communicate to the world. And again, you found political battles between Trump and Bezos on the time too. And now you're going out with Musk and Twitter, right? So all this stuff is, you know, uh, Trump was held off of Twitter. Now Musk is swimming back on Twitter. And you wonder if that's because of what reason he's putting Trump back on. You know, does he want to get his subscriptions back up again? You know, he, he went and said there was a vote done, but they don't know how many bots are involved in the vote, vote and all that well, to exactly. decide to break. Where's the results of the vote? Yeah. So it's all of a sudden I, they I decided. I don't remember being asked to vote. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? Yep. <laughs> Were you asked to vote? Wasn't voting. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So again, is that real or is it a conflict of interest? So some of the media, some well-established outlets such as the Globe and Mail, Wall Street Journal have strict codes of conduct. Other media outlets don't, and we're not going to name any of them, but some corporations may expect information from corporations without properly researching it. So they get some information from a corporation, they put it out there in the marketplace, and they haven't really done a deep dive into it. Very dangerous because humans, we tend to believe that most of the media is correct. Remember when we used to go to buy groceries and the Inquirer was always up there, right? And you always accepted the Inquirer wasn't real because it had a space alien on it. So you could you could understand that's not real media. And you saw the paper next to you, which is an accepted form of media, which you thought held some form of truth or some form of reliability to it. Well, now what we're dealing with is on the internet, we have the Inquirer is packaged all together with everything else and you can't really tell the difference because they don't necessarily have the alien face on the front of every page that tells you this isn't real. And you read these articles and it's missing that that piece that, that used to tell you this is fake news. Uh, I hate to use fake news, but it, it's missing uh, from all the stuff you get on the internet. It used to be easier to establish what was real and what wasn't. On the internet, everything looks the same. I had an interesting one the other day. I was reading a, a well-written article by Gordon Pape on dividend funds and different dividend funds and who had performed better and who hadn't. And he had put included the performance of the dividend funds. And, and then partway through the article, he made a comment and he said, but comparing the dividend fund returns versus the fund that I have, and he put the return of the fund that he had, 
and it was three times better than the dividend funds. And then he moved back into discussing the dividend funds again. But subtly in there now, anyone who's reading that article is going to go, well, why would I buy a dividend fund? Maybe I should be buying Gordon's fund. Yeah. And it was a subtle conflict of interest, but he's been at this game for a long, long time. And there shouldn't be a conflict of interest with that, but there was. Yep. So conflicts of interest aren't going away. So it's buyer beware. There's nothing wrong with a conflict of interest as long as you understand what they are. And sometimes the individuals you're working with should really explain what the conflict is. I think we always have to remember there's a term that they use in the U.S. is called fiduciary. And a fiduciary means the duty is always based back to the client. And once you're in a fiduciary role, you have to always concentrate the best interest in the client regardless of compensation. And it's it's a fine line. We wish everyone, we tend to think more people are acting in a fiduciary role than actually are. And that's where the conflicts come in and they battle with that fiduciary role. We as your financial advisor are definitely want to be your fiduciary. But you got to be very careful because not all financial advisors are the same and they may have some things that impact that role. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. If you're looking for a financial advisor, visit our website at tmfg.ca or call us at 905-771-5200. This episode has been brought to you by the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.